Boom. It's all good. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. I really appreciate it. Um, so, so I when I heard we were doing Romans, I'm like, that's the book that I know. Like, I studied that one like a pastor would, you know. And so, um, so we'll, we'll go. I wanted to go. I, mean, I looked at chapter one and like, and am I right that uh, Chris was out here and he's but he stayed in verse one. Is that what happened? Overview of the whole book? Yeah. Oh, sweet. So you might get a little bit of that from me, but I'm going to do chapter one. So I decided I'm going to go for the whole thing. Oh, wow. So I'm not going to go like, because you could go, you could take two verses out of the book of Romans just about anywhere and you could do a whole hour on them, right? But I wanted to kind of do a whole overview of chapter one. That was kind of how this college class I was in worked. It was like you'd, you'd spend three hours studying three chapters, you know, and and you take notes, and it was so cool. And it, they called it the School of Ministry, and we're talking about um, doing something like that um, through the church in Corvallis, or uh, Primeville. And uh, Chris will teach, like, Chris just got his uh, Masters of Divinity, his MDiv, you know, so he could be like a Bible college teacher. And uh, so Chris is going to maybe do something like that where you take one class at a time. So, like, Romans would be a class you would take, you know. So, um, so anyway, I'm going to read uh, 1 through 7. I'm going to kind of break it into a few pieces, okay? So uh, Romans 1, 1 through 7. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To, who, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... You probably got some of this backstory from Chris then if he did a whole overview. But this book is written by one of my favorite apostles. And he's my favorite because he's kind of a nerd and he gets really worked up in details. And so Paul. And so, um, you know, I mean, you know, I know you guys all know this too, but I'll just remind you some of these things. So Paul was Saul who was persecuting the church when Christianity first started. And he was a, a Pharisee which meant that he was the, the smartest. It'd be kind of like being a lawyer today. He was like the smartest, most logical religious person of the day who probably had the entire Old Testament memorized. And he also knew all the rules of being a Jew that they had made up. So he's extremely you know, immersed in Jewish culture and, and the Jewish writings of the, of the Bible. And he gets saved. And so it's kind of like if it would be like, I, I, I would love to see the Lord do something like this. It would be like, what's the equivalent of, of, of a Jewish Pharisee getting saved? It would be the equivalent of like an evolutionary biologist getting saved today, you know? And um, it would be somebody who's just thoroughly engrossed in the, in the genetic studies of how do they, how do they make interpretations to try to say that whales and this weird mammal are descended from each other using genes. And there's just all this useless, not useless, but pretty useless knowledge they have of how these computer systems work to do these statistical guesses about which thing is related. You know, it's just like 
you're just so immersed in something that almost nobody understands. Or it'd be like a, a Stephen Hawking, you know, getting saved, you know? And it's like somebody who has a lot of really detailed knowledge about some very specific things that really have an impact on what the world believes is true about reality. And so Paul gets saved, and this is like the best. Because like, here's this guy who was persecuting the church, and now instead, and he's an expert in, in the religion of Judaism, and instead now he's going to spread the faith. You know, and just the, the testimony of an evolutionary, I mean, there actually have been several of these sort of situations where these really prof, uh, popular um, scientists become Christians. So there was a guy, gosh, I can't remember his name now, but there was a guy in the 80s who wrote a book called Chemical Evolution. And so you got a whole, you got a whole branch of evolutionary biology that's about like once you have living things, but the bit the even bigger, that's, that's, there's a lot of trouble there when you're trying to make people believe that's true. But there's something that almost nobody has a, a clue about. And that's how do you go from like a pool of muddy water into a, a cell? It's like the idea is like a, a, a 747. You, you have a tornado tear through a junkyard and it assembles into a 747. You know, like it's just, it doesn't work. And when you get down to the molecules and the different shapes of molecules that you need to make a cell, you've got thousands and thousands of these things that all have to go together the right way and it just doesn't happen at all. And so 40 years ago, there were guys who were saying, oh, it's like, it's like um, just it had to happen. Like chemically, it just must have just been like predestined. You know, like that, that, that the way things turned out, must. we're going to go back, we're going to discover like it's just this sort of natural thing that would, of course it would happen, right? And so he wrote this book called Chemical Evolution. I forget his name now. And then, uh, you know, and it was, I mean, you're just in the, the, the first inch of this 10 mile idea that they were trying to propose. And, and then he becomes a Christian and realizes, and, and the, the whole branch of chemical evolution is just like, nobody does that anymore because it's not real. It's a fairy tale. And there, there's nothing there. You can't get there. But this guy, he becomes a Christian and then he becomes a young earth creationist and he's just shunned by society, you know? And there was another guy who was a, a physicist, you know, so Big Bang and beginning of the universe, same kind of thing. He, he became a Christian and it's like, don't, we're not talking to him anymore, you know? And that's kind of probably what it was like for Paul. You know, the Pharisees were probably like, oh, well, you're a lunatic. We're done with you now. You know, they won't even hear it, right? But Paul's going to go throughout this whole book and he's just going to make the case from every Jewish story and every Jewish verse and everything in the, in the Old Testament and how it points to this coming Jesus, right? So anyway, that's who wrote this book. And that's why probably this is my favorite book is because it's like, this is as nerdy as you can get into theology in one book. It's the book of Romans, okay? Second, maybe, close second, Hebrews. And so um, that's the book. And then... Um, in verse 7, Paul says to all who are in Rome. So this is written to the people in Rome, right? And, uh, and so the story, I don't have any evidence to support this claim. This is just what I've heard. And I would guess there's, there's some truth to it if you were to look into it. But what I've heard is Jesus rises from the dead um, in Jerusalem uh, at Passover, okay? So Passover would be kind of like the Olympics is what I would compare it to. So like, when you have the Olympics in, uh, in when, when we were children, when all of us were children, the Olympics were in Salt Lake City, right? 
And it was like, oh, and people from all over the world came to Salt Lake City for a few weeks for this big thing. And I remember it was in Atlanta, too, right? And there was that bombing that one time. That was bad. And so, like, when the Olympics happened, Todd, do you remember the bombing in Atlanta? You're like, no, I'm just a baby. So, um, so when the Olympics happened, Todd, you know, like, all these people from all these different countries come to one place for this thing. And that's what it would have been like when Jesus died. I mean, he didn't just die on a random weekend. He died on Passover. And so it was like all the Jewish people, and I bet even non-Jewish people, I don't, I don't really know, but lots, like I, I've heard the estimate, a million people were in Jerusalem for Passover. And, and so Jesus is raised from the dead and the, the news gets out. Like people get saved before they go home. And so you've got these people who get saved. They go back home to Rome because they're Jewish people living in Rome. And they start telling other people about Jesus but they don't really, they're not an apostle. They're not, you know, necessarily super well-versed in all of the teachings of Jesus. But Christianity starts growing in Rome as a satellite church to the New Testament church of Jerusalem on accident, almost, you know? I mean, the whole world is just primed for the, these missionaries to go out, right? And so what I've heard and what I, what I learned when I took this class is this is, a, this is a church with no pastor. I'm sure they had somebody who was, um, you know doing the job and doing the best they could. But, but Paul and the 12, you know, the 12 are like, whoa, there's a big movement of God going on in Rome and nobody's ever been over there to like show them the right things to do, you know? And so because of that, you get this book that Paul's going to write that is uh, the most thorough, detailed exposition of what's true about God um, as, as New Testament Christians. What do we actually believe about God? And, um, and I love what he says in verse four as he's, as he's wanting to make sure, cause like if you've ever, I mean, if you've ever seen like, like a Bible study start with a bunch of young people or something, you know, like, oh, Hey, no problem. No, no, uh, no microphone to worry about. If you've ever, if you've ever seen that, like things can go sideways really quick. Right. And so I think Paul's coming in and he's like, I'm so glad you guys are Christians but let me make sure you're actually Christians, right? And so he says in, in verse four, and, and he's gonna just throughout this book, lay it out. He says, Jesus Christ was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And so, you know, we're getting this in English. It was written in Greek. I have a feeling he wrote that in really plain language. For us, it's kind of like, what in the world is he trying to say? I think what he's trying to say here is that when Jesus was raised from the dead, that that proved that it took something powerful to make that happen. How do you make a dead man come back to life? There's got to be a spirit involved uh, that has power. And he said it was the spirit of holiness. God's spirit used power, has the power to raise someone from the dead. And so Paul like hits the ground running. Guys, What's true about Christianity is that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And, um, and that this was a powerful event in history. And, and Jesus said in Matthew 12, 38. So I'm going to go to Matthew. Jesus said something similar in Matthew 12, 38. So Matthew 12, 38. Jesus is hanging out with some of these guys like Paul, Pharisees, 
these religious leaders of the day. And they're like, hey, man, prove to us that you're really who you say you are, even though we've already watched you do miracles. And some of the scribes and Pharisees see ans- uh, uh, and Pharisees sees answered. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees. Oh, I see. I was trying to throw the word sees in there. There's a little hyphen. Answered saying, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And so, you know, these skeptics, it, I have a feeling, you know, you look at the heart of Jesus when he's going to do a miracle. As somebody comes to Jesus and they're desperate, he's like, yeah, I can do that. I'll take care of you. But if somebody comes to Jesus like these guys did and they're like, oh, come on, prove it. You know, it's just like totally different response from Jesus. And he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And I don't know if you guys have ever tried to share the gospel with someone or convince someone that Christianity is true, but... There's this natural, I don't want to believe this. I want to be resistant to it kind of attitude. And that's what Jesus is dealing with here. It's like there's this natural tendency within evil, sinful, unregenerated people that they want to reject this truth. And so that's what's going on here. And so he says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And let's see if he says anything else after that. The men of, yeah, and that's about it, right? And so, um, so what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, oh, you want a sign? I've got a sign for you, okay? Just like, like you think about Jonah, and I was thinking about this, and I was telling the middle, I was teaching this to the middle school kids today. Because I'm like, I don't have the bandwidth to teach two different things on one day. So, so I'm teaching this to them. I'm like, was Jonah alive still in the fish? Or was he dead for three days? You know, I was thinking about that. I'm still not totally sure. Like the kid, one of the kids, I love this though. One of the kids takes out his smartphone. He's using his Bible on his smartphone. Takes out his phone. Looks at, Look, it says he was praying when he was in there. And I'm like, good job, dude. You know? <laughs> but it's like, I think what Jesus is saying though is like, you know, Jonah, he's like dead, you know? He's as good as dead if he wasn't dead. And uh, maybe he prayed right when he got swallowed and then he was really dead for three days and God raised him from the dead. Or maybe he was a really alive. God kept him alive and there either one's possible. But Jesus is saying, oh, you want proof? Here's the proof. The whole world's gonna be given this proof. The sign of Jonah. And not just that you, you, you die and three days later you come back, but then what happens with Jonah is the Gentile world repents right and that's that's the sign of jesus is he dies he rises from the dead look where we are today two thousand years later the gentile world has received jesus you know and um and so that's the sign and if you if you study history i've i've uh watched a lot of debates between atheists and and uh theologians atheists and scientists and um when it comes to the historical evidence for the resurrection of jesus that is the rock solid moment that Christians should point to when they're trying to convince someone Christianity is true. Because even the secular scientists or secular historians will admit there was a guy named Jesus of Galilee who's going around doing miraculous things, stirring up a lot of trouble. They'll give you that. He was crucified by Pontius Pilate. He was buried. And he, I think everyone would agree he's dead. Although there's some Muslims who've tried to say he was swooned back to life. But he was dead, died by crucifixion. 
that he was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, that three days later the tomb was empty and his followers uh, claimed, or the last one, his followers claimed to have seen him raised from the dead and they believed it so much that they went and laid down their lives to spread that message. Those five facts of history, like you can't find any historical evidence that the, you know, the, the disciples stole the body. No evidence for that. No evidence that this was sort of a myth that over time evolved. Like, as early as anything, you can, you know, show that this was the belief of Christianity within, you know, a blink of when Christianity shows up. And so histor- historians will have to admit, okay, all those things, yeah, those, th- those are true. But a historian might still say, I don't believe it. But it's because of their pre, uh, preconceived idea that miraculous things can't happen. So obviously Jesus didn't rise from the dead, right? So it's their, it's their presupposition that keeps them from believing it. So you, you've got a rock-solid case in history, just as, as Paul is saying here in Romans, that Jesus rose from the dead. And so Jesus rises from the dead when all these Jewish people from Rome are, are in Jerusalem for Passover. Then a bunch of them go back and Christianity starts to grow without an apostle there. And so then Paul says in verse eight, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making a request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. And so you see like Paul, Paul hears about these Jewish uh, Christians and probably spreading to the Gentile world in Rome. And he's, he's like, man, I want to go there so bad. Because when Paul gets saved um, on the road to Damascus, uh, I'm pretty sure right in that moment, I didn't look it up, but I'm pretty sure right in that moment, God tells him, You're, I'm going to use you to reach the Gentiles, right? Like Paul's a Jew. Like his, his heart's for the Jewish people. He'll say it later on in verse, or chapter eight, right at the end of eight or nine. He'll say that I wish my, I could give up my own salvation for the salvation of my Jewish brothers and sisters, right? Like he's passionate for Jewish people, but then God tells him, you're going to be my witness to uh, the Gentile world. Peter sort of ended up with the job of, of being the pastor to the Jews in Jerusalem. But Paul, he's supposed to go and be a missionary to the Gentile world because Paul also had a background in Rome. Uh, Rome he could speak the language uh, and um, had... I'm not sure all the details of his story, but he, he was also a Roman citizen. And so if you follow his, well, what we're learning about it in, in Primeville right now, you, you, in the book of Acts, second half especially, is like a, a story of the missionary journeys of Paul. And he uses the fact that he's a Roman citizen to get himself to Rome. Um, so anyway, Paul's got this great desire to come visit these folks in Rome. And he says in 11, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may, may be established that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith of you and me. So he, he wants to make sure they're established. He wants to make sure that they're getting this Christianity stuff right. Because it's, it is interesting that God will save somebody and then things will go sideways sometimes, you know? There was, there's, there's a story within Calvary Chapel of, uh, there's this new movie they're making right now. So if you've seen the, the TV show, The Chosen, the, the guy who plays Jesus in that movie is going to play Lonnie Frisbee in the Calvary Chapel movie they're making right now. And Lonnie Frisbee was this crazy, weird, hippie guy who got saved in the Calvary Chapel movement, like when it first started. And he was like a radical uh, spreading the gospel around. And then later on, he got really weird. He got into homosexuality and things got a little strange, you know? And it's like sometimes 
It's, isn't it weird that people get saved, but then things go kind of sideways sometimes, you know? And Paul is so thrilled they're saved in Rome, but at the same time, I want to come and make sure you're established. And so I don't know how that all works, you know, theologically, Calvinism, Arminianism, but, but it's just interesting to know, notice and observe that is, seems to be the nature of it. Um, and he says in verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I have often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles, as, as that's his role. And he says, I'm a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. So he uses this phrase now, the gospel, or it's just a word. He uses the word, the gospel, right? And because these are like people, he really doesn't know where they're at. He's like, I better define that. And so th- when, you, uh, when you write a research paper in, in, as a kid, you're supposed to, I, I learned this from my high school English teacher, you're supposed to grab the reader's attention with something interesting in the introductory paragraph. And then at the bottom of the introductory paragraph, you're supposed to write your thesis, my man, yes. <laughs> and so your thesis is like, here's what I'm going to tell you in my next four paragraphs, right? And, it, and like my, my English teacher trained me, say each thing that each paragraph is going to be about. And that's your thesis, right? And so verses 16 and 17 are Paul's thesis for this entire book that he's writing. So in, in verse 16, he says this word, I want, to sh- I want to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. And then he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. And here's, here's the gospel that Paul finds in the Old Testament. The just shall live by faith. And in another translation of that verse is, it's through faith that a righteous person finds life. That's sometimes how it's translated. And so what Paul is saying here, and he's saying, this is it, guys. This is the message. He's saying the gospel is God's way of saving sinful people. And he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. And when he says from faith to faith, I remember this phrase from that class I took. We talked about what is from faith to to faith mean? I don't really remember the conclusion. <laughs> I remember thinking, I, I think the conclusion was, we're not entirely sure, but I think from faith to faith, for me, what I interpreted it to mean was, God sort of did this thing with the Jewish people, and now he's doing this thing with the whole world. And so it's like, we're transferring, you know, we're going from this to that. You could probably you could probably write a PhD or a what an MDiv what do they call your doctorate a doctorate of theology on from faith to faith and going on finding all the evidence all the different ideas people have had but you know those are kind of those, those are, that's how nerdy people become which is good but you have to learn Greek so you can argue about the Greek words um, so anyway I love this because one Paul says I'm not ashamed of it and then he says. It's the power of God to salvation. And if you've ever, I don't know if you guys have ever shared the gospel with somebody. I remember when I was in like freshman year in college, and I first became a Christian. I sat down with this kid, Kyle Stanfield, that I went to high school with. And, uh, and he, he was my high school buddy, you know, and then I, I became this radical Christian weirdo. And so we didn't hang out much for about six months. And then one day I saw him 
at lunch, sitting in the West Dining Center, and uh, and grabbed some pizza. I went and sat with him, with him, and I tried to explain to him the gospel of how you have to have your sins forgiven to go to heaven. And I remember feeling really weak and afraid and embarrassed while I explained that to him, because I knew he was just going to reject it. At least I thought he was, and I thought he thought I was stupid, you know. And that, and there's like it was really ineffective. And I think part of the reason it was ineffective was because I was kind of ashamed of like you. You think I'm dumb. You think this is dumb, you know. But like Paul had gotten to this point where he was like, "This is it. This is how it works." It's you know, um, in First Corinthians chapter one, Paul talks about the foolish message of Christianity. You know that the the, the the Roman world, the Greek world would have, they wanted really wise ideas. That's, that's what must be true about God. Whatever's really deep and interesting and wise. And, the, and the, the Bible says the gospel is foolishness in 1 Corinthians to those who are perishing. Like it just bounces off. If you've ever shared it with somebody who just has no interest in what you have to say. But it's like, Paul's like, yeah, you know, you're right. It's simple. It's a simple message, right? And it's, it's sort of specific and it's, it's got details to it that just, you know, but he says, I'm not ashamed of it, for it's the power of God to salvation. And so, like, there is something, it, later on in this book, Paul will say, um, faith comes through hearing the word of God. And in the, the phrase, the word of God, sometimes probably just means the gospel. And so, as strange as it is, when you tell the truth about who God is and you declare it, that God, by the Holy Spirit, empowers the message and people's eyes are open and the veil that is keeping them from seeing the truth falls and they, they see the truth and understand. And it's a very, very much a spiritual understanding that kind of takes over. Um, you can, you can listen to stories of a lot of times you can listen to stories of like somebody like, uh, what's his name? Lee Strobel. So Lee Strobel is this guy who is like a total skeptic journalist, you know, uh, Ivy League school kind of graduate guy. And he, he investigates Christianity for a couple of years because his wife becomes a Christian and he thinks she's just an idiot for doing that. And then one day it just clicks, you know, it just clicks for him. This is true. And there's sort of like, it's sort of like when uh, Peter, um, Jesus says, you know, who do you, who do you say that I am? And Peter steps up as his normal bold self. And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. Like there's, there's a spiritual awakening that happens when you preach the gospel. And it's not because you're really persuasive. It's because God opens their eyes to believe the truth and, under, and to see it. And I, I don't know about you guys, but that's, that's what it's been for me. There have been moments of like, I, I, can't, I can't really remember. the. I mean, I remember the first month I was in college, it was like, I read stuff, I'm reading the New Testament, I'm reading the book of James. It's just like this awakening of my soul to know that this stuff is true and to be enthusiastic about it. And, and so that's what the gospel is. It's, it's a simple message that people are waking up, awoken to by God's spirit. And it shows how people can be made right with God. So, so what you've got in Romans 1 through 15, or sorry, 1 verses 1 through 17 You've got like his introductory paragraph, right? And then at the end, 16 and 17, you've got the thesis of his introductory paragraph, right? And this book is like 15 or 16 chapters long. And so now he's like, all right, now that I've given you my intro, 
let's get into the first topic, right? And so verses 18 through 32, Paul's actually just trying to answer one question. He's trying to answer the question. I mean, I think this is one way to look at it. He's trying to answer the question. He's trying to bring about the thought of like, how did we get here? Like, like, why is the world the screwed up place that it is? You know, like, and that's a really good, like, that's a really good topic. You know, like if you want to have a, uh, a complete intellectual perspective of reality, you need to be able to say like, how'd we get here? Where'd we come from? Why are things the way they are? You know, and, and I was teaching this to middle schoolers today. So I give them a little activity. I'm not going to give you guys this activity. You're adults. So you have to just sit there and take it. But, um, here it was. Okay. I asked them, there were five, there were only five kids there today. I said, okay, what are some things that are really jacked up about the world we live in? Like really screwed up things about the world. Right. And I just asked these five middle school kids, like come up with some stuff. Like what about the world makes you look at the world and go, man, the world is messed up. And just 12, 13 year olds, homosexual, first one out of their mouth, gay marriage. <laughs> it's like, you're from a Christian household. <laughs> uh, and then another kid from there, kids get ideas from each other. Transgender. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We got some really weird things related to human sexuality going on in the world. And they're like, but what else? What else? And they're like, Joe Biden and Putin. It's like, those are some good answers. So like really, and that's really, what's up with the twisted governments that we have? Like the power that people have that they abuse, right? And then another thing they came up with was like homeless people in Portland, you know? So like, yeah, it's like, and I went, I went off for a second. I was like, yeah, you know, people in America, even the homeless people, they're dying of overeating. You get, I was thinking about that. Like the diseases that, in, in your average country before 100 years ago, people probably died regularly of starvation and, you know, not having clean drinking water. In Amer- America, and just, you know, the West and the modern world, we have this really weird thing that started to happen to us that we're dying of diseases related to obesity, you know? The, the number one killers are uh, heart, heart attack, heart disease, okay, which is totally related to eating too much, which I'm right there with all of you, okay? Todd, you don't have to feel bad. Um, heart disease, cancer, a lot of cancers are related to inflammation inside the body that is related to um, obesity. And then um, diabetes, type 2 diabetes. You know, those are complications related to type 2 diabetes, another big killer of people. So we, in this country, I mean, this is how screwed up the world is. In the West and in, in, the, in the modern world, most of us are overweight and we eat too much. And then you got countries like Africa where they don't have enough, you know? And this sort of, and not that there's some simple solution to that, but that's, that's how screwed up the world is that we live in, you know? Some people are dying of starvation and some people are dying of obesity. How, how ironic, right? And, uh, and so they came up with those three, uh, I can't remember if they had much else to say, just evil, just people are evil, you know? And, and, and so, so, you know, I thought, wow, those are some really good answers as we get into this, this verses. So let's see what Paul says about why is the world so screwed up? And, uh, here we go. Romans 18 for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And so right away, Paul is, is saying that the way the world is, is wrong, right? He's saying God, um, 
the wrath of God is revealed against the unrighteousness of men. And here's the way men are, Paul's saying. Men actually don't want to believe the truth. Men actually want to suppress the truth. And I, and I asked those middle schoolers, what does suppress mean? And they're like, hold it down. And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty good. I think that might be right. So mankind doesn't want to believe that what, you know, that God wants them to, to live in righteous ways and um, to, to acknowledge his existence, as that, that he's the king. And then Paul goes in, he says, because what, be may, what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. And so Paul's kind of answering the question that sometimes people will bring up, which is like, what happens to people who've never heard about Jesus before? And he, I mean, this, it's not his exact intent, but it's kind of like, Paul's kind of saying here, like, listen, what, you should know there's a God just from going outside and looking at the sunset, you know? And uh, I had open heart surgery when I was uh, 24 because I had a birth defect. And this surgeon was like, the, you know, the top 0.01% of society. You know, he had gone to Stanford. He had a PhD and an MD, you know, and, and he was a heart surgeon at OHSU. And he's talking to me, about, I was asking him a question about the valve that he was replacing in my heart. He's like, you know, he's all, you know, when you... When you look at the, how the heart works, like he was talking about how you can actually see the heart pumping when you cut open somebody's chest. And he's like, when in the valve and the way it functions, he's like, when you see the way the heart works, it just makes you believe in God. And then I was like, oh, you know, because I'm a Christian. And I'm like, really? Are you religious? I don't know why I said, are you religious? Do you remember that? And you were like, why'd you say religious? Why didn't you say Christian, Johnny? I'm like, I don't know. It just came out of my mouth, okay? And he's all, no, no, no. It's like, oh, you're not a Jew, a Muslim, or a Christian, but you know God exists because you operate on the human heart, you know? And, like, it's like there's this thing that, like, I remember when I first got saved, I'd go up on a mountain sometimes to pray like Jesus did, and I'd look over Klamath Falls because that's where I was, and and uh, not that it's a fancy place or anything. And I'd see the mountains, and I'd see the flat valley where everybody's farming, and I'd see the sky, and I just, there was just something in my soul wanting to cry out, you know? And uh, this is a really funny story. I'm going to tell you this story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Same feeling, same feeling. So, so no, no, it's fine. Uh, so, so uh, I'm about to get engaged to Jessica, right? Freshman year, just, I got saved like six months ago. And we go, we go, and I got this whole plan, and we go down with a bunch of friends to this place called Pismo Beach in California, and, uh, and I've got the wedding ring. I bought the wedding ring. I had, I had like $3,000 in the bank to go to college, right? And I'm like taking out student loans, and I bought this girl a $1,000 diamond ring with most of the money I had, you know? <laughs> and then the other cool thing was I had made all this money working at Papa John's, you know, 3000 bucks in my savings account. I got saved. I gave the Lord like $500. I was like, oh, I've never tithed before. I better do that. It's like, bank account, zero. <laughs> but I bought her a $1,000 wedding ring, and it was this diamond. I would take it out, and I'd look at it. I was so excited. Oh, you're making the story we want. Hey, I'm just reminiscing. <laughs> and, uh, and so we go down to Pismo Beach and I've got this wedding ring and I know I'm going to propose to Jessica. And it was like before iPods existed and they had these little MP3 players you could get at Walmart. And I had one of those and I'm, and I'm at the beach and it's just glorious and it's, now it's nighttime and I'm out on the beach. By yourself. Totally by myself, just worshiping God, like amazed by his creation, you know. 
And I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so I totally thought I was on the beach. This has nothing to do with what I'm teaching you, by the way. So I'm sitting there. It's just a, one of the dumbest, weirdest things I ever did as a Christian. So I'm sitting there, and I, I've, I've got the gift of tongues, like, a few months earlier. And so I'm out there on the beach, and I'm just speaking in tongues and worshiping God and screaming, and, you know, and just being totally Pentecostal. And uh, not that I'm a Pentecostal. And then all of a sudden, I look behind me, and there's these two people walking away. <laughs> they were laying on the beach, and they had their blanket with them. I was like... <laughs> but that was, that was in me, you know? Like I, could, I just knew God existed. They must have thought I was so strange. I hope they were Christians. Because otherwise, they were really like, oh my gosh, this guy's having like a... He's on drugs. He's been doing mushrooms. Okay, uh... But, but there's this natural thing in us that we know that God exists, right? And then, and then Paul takes it all the way back to creation. And he says, for, this is verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. So, so to some degree, those who've never heard, they're kind of without excuse. And when he gets into chapter 3... There's some argument about, well, maybe he's saying they, they'll be judged based on what they did with the knowledge they had. Anyway, it's an interesting debate. You'll never come to a solid answer on it, though. Um, and it says in verse 21, and I think this is talking about all of our ancestors, okay? It says, because although they knew God, I think this is talking about the people after Noah. So you've got Adam and Eve. They have a whole bunch of descendants, and those people all turn away from God. And so God destroys them all, except for one little remnant, uh, Noah and his three sons. So you got eight people that are now going to repopulate the earth. And, uh, and it says, this, this is about those people. It says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. And I don't think this is like a one generation thing, like, oh, you know, Noah's grandchildren all turned away from God. I think it was just a natural, gradual pro- progression as people began to refill the earth. They knew who God was. They knew the story. You know, you go all over the world. Everybody's got the flood story in their history, you know, because it happened. And so all those people are guilty because they're descended from these other people. And, and gradually people just turned away from God and, and they became futile in their thoughts. As time went on, they, they didn't care to know God and they suppressed the truth about God. They wanted to go follow their own pursuits instead. And professing to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And so what it's saying is, like, there was still this drive in these people to know God, to know something greater than themselves, that there's, there's a natural, like, there's a, there, a natural, isn't the right word, there's a inherent spirituality in human experience that there are things that are not physical and these people knew that and they wanted to know the thing that is is not physical they wanted to know god but instead of knowing god they carved idols and they set it up on a table and they bow down and worship and burn things for it and they pray to this object instead of praying to god and so god gives them up to uncleanness. So as people, as mankind, as a group turned away from God, God gave them up, this is verse 24, to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, 
who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And I think he's, I think he's saying like, how did we get here? The Romans. I think the Romans were worshiping idols. And so, you know, I, I don't know a whole lot about, you know, one or zero AD uh, Roman culture, but I think they had idols, you know? And so he's, Paul's basically saying, why are the people around you the way they are? It's because they, they turn their backs on God and now they worship dumb idols instead of knowing who God really is. And so God gave them up to this stuff as they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And then it gets worse. God gave them up to vile passions. And this is so interesting. I thought that the kids were like homosexuality, because that's another thing that Paul wants to address in why is the world so screwed up for this reason? God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. And likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men com- with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting. Being filled with all, and, and, and this is where all of humanity, this is where we see that what's wrong with all of humanity. He's just going to lay it out here. Being filled with all unrighteousness, Sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to their parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but approve of those who practice them. And I'm like, some of that, man, like the approving of the practice of evil things. That, man, that is American culture right now, isn't it? And, uh, and so like, I think that's probably the biggest list of evil things that Paul wrote. Like he's, you've got Galatians, Ephesians, he's got little lists of all the evil. This is the big list of bad stuff in the Bible. And so Paul is, is starting the book of Romans with the bad news because you need to know you're a sinner before you, you can understand what it means to be saved, right? And so Paul is saying, uh, this is the world. It's a big, sinful mess descended from good that has rejected good. And then, and then uh, just verse two, or chapter two, verse one says, and therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. And so it's like, yeah, they're the worst, aren't they, Paul? And it's like, no, you're guilty too, buddy. And so Paul starts his letter to the Romans talking about how sinful humanity is. You're welcome. Be, be warm and be filled. But it gets really good. And it takes two more chapters. It takes two more chapters to go through it. And there's this famous verse that, that's part of, you know, sharing the gospel is for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Romans 3.23. So Paul's going to take I want to say that chapter two is more for the Jewish people. So chapter one is like, hey, the Gentiles are totally lost. Chapter two is like, guess what? So are the Jews. And then chapter three is just some more judgment and everybody's a sinner until in verse 23 uh, and 24, you can be justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. And like the book of the book of Romans as you go through and, you know, Paul lays out this case of like everybody's guilty before God. 
And then here's the good news, you know, and it's just, he repeatedly shares the gospel from verses three through verses, uh, or sorry, through chapter three through chapter eight. Uh, and then chapter nine gets into like kind of predestination and the end of the world stuff by chapter 11. And chapter, chapter, I'm, I'm doing Chris's job here, but chapter, so you, you kind of break it into chunks where you understand what is this piece about. Chapter uh, 12 begins the practical stuff. So the first 12 chapters, the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans are just theology, according to a guy who knows his theology. And then you get four chapters of practical life at the end. So y'all are going to have a great time. This is probably the best book in the Bible. I mean, I don't want to play favorites, but... Okay. Um, so I don't have any great... Oh, did we, did we address... Did I, did I come back? Did I circle back on that? So like, why is the world so jacked up? Like Paul's set, talking about it, right? The world, I asked the middle schoolers this. Why is the world so jacked up? Willem? Based on what we just went through in those 20 verses. Because of sin. Sin. Man, and what is sin? It's to turn away from God's way, right? So basically, Paul starts the book of Romans and makes the case Mankind has turned its back on God. And that's the state of the, the way things are. But then you have to tell somebody the bad news first so that you can tell them the good news, right? And he, and he even prefaced it with the good news as his thesis, right? So pretty cool first chapter. 